This is the Coleman Chaos Podcast, episode 36. I'm Thomas. I'm Jaden. I'm Dakota. And I'm Matt. We're just a couple of everyday guys trying to become better versions of ourselves. Welcome to our conversation. Because the world is chaos. Show or feel no nervousness, anger, or other strong emotion. Complete disorder or confusion. We're not only training our, you know, our defensive mindsets. We're also working, you know, in our spiritual lives and trying to make ourselves better human beings. Welcome back to the Coleman Chaos Podcast. I think no I got way. it. Uh, welcome no back way. to the Coleman Chaos Podcast, episode 36. I really hope all of you just heard Dakota say I'm going to have the meat sweats real bad tomorrow. Uh, that's great. Um, as you heard at the beginning, Thomas Olean is back. Yeah, geez, how long was How many episodes was it? Like four or five. At least. Probably four. No, it might have been five. I don't know. The la- I wasn't on. We skipped Labor Day, and then I wasn't able to do any after that. <clears throat> so I didn't didn't do any all of September. I say, man, Labor Day was a Karen's age ago. Yeah, I know. That was when we went to the beach. Holy Whoa, cow! That was a long. Time that was ago. how long ago that was. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that. So, anyways, I guess I, I should probably explain why I was off for so long. He since... hates us in the podcast. Yeah, this this podcast is dead to me, actually. <laughs> I'm here to announce my retirement. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, in all seriousness, um, ran into a little bit of an issue. Um, at the beginning of September, the day after Labor Day, my mother-in-law tested positive for covid and uh, of course we were with her on labor day so we had to be my uh, maddie and i had to be off of work so that's why we couldn't that's why i couldn't record then and so i was that that had me out for that was a week and then uh, her you know maddie's mom's uh health gradually got worse she ended up in the hospital and um ultimately ended up passing away on the 25th so it has been a pretty rough couple of weeks Um, i know that the guys had said stuff about prayers and i don't know if anyone explained the situation to everybody but not not very much now you know um we do appreciate the prayers Um, the support that uh, our family has received through this has been overwhelming and so thank you guys for that um but anyways here we are I'm back, and we're sitting on the couch. Well, whatever, whatever that means. We just had a little bit of a range day this afternoon, and then ate unholy amounts of <laughs> beef. Which is which is why, if you did hear at the beginning, I said I was going to be having the meat sweats tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to Mac for buying us dinner. Yes, and then not you. even and not showing up. Didn't even didn't even show up. But uh, 
But um, all good <clears throat> things, all good things. We we will be continuing um, the Mac series, <laughs> I guess you could call it um, the mental the, health series. Yes, yeah, yeah. The the next time that he's on, because I know that he wants to dive into a lot of the things that we touched on. And we do last too. episode, so we'll be recapping that. That's not the last that everybody will be hearing from him um, regarding some of the things he was talking on. So, but today. <clears throat> I know that um, Jaden and I in particular have been doing a little bit more research and analysis on um, the beginning of Exodus. So <coughs> and that's kind of what I'd like to touch on a little bit today. Um, now, Thomas, I know you've had other priorities, but um, Dakota, have you gotten a chance to dive in any deeper? I, I, I never even started Exodus. I was still doing Genesis stuff. Okay, I got you. So where are you at in Genesis? Pretty much. I don't. I'm not done done with it. I was. I was. Put the mic like, up. Put the mic oh, to your face. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was just like reading through it whenever I started. Get out of here! I'm trying. To, I'm trying to get on the Bible app and it's doing pop-ups for reviews. Um, I was just like reading through it, and then I got to was it 36? I think I got to chapter 36 or something like that. 30 something. How many? And then how many books are in Genesis? Or yeah. chapters. 50. 50. Is it 50? Yeah. Yeah, so I got, I got like two-thirds of the way through it, and then I don't remember what went off in my head, but I was like, you need to go back and restart. So I like started, <laughs> I went and restarted it because I, I guess maybe my subconscious told me I missed something. I did so that a few I, times, now too. Now I restarted. I've done that with Exodus three times now. Yeah. yeah. And so I've, I've only gotten okay, to chapter so 10. that's normal, then. Yeah, I've gotten okay, to good. chapter 10. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you guys understand that. So, yeah, no, I didn't even finish it yet. Well, I think that's important just so... <clears throat> We're not just busting through these books just to bust through them. There's, I think whenever you go back to recap because you think you missed something, I think that's important because it shows that you're actually trying to grow and learn and not just trying to read right. and check off a checkbox. And that was like my original plan was to like read through the entire Bible front to back and then just like just like quick read it and then it's not start happen. doing that. And <laughs> then I, yeah, I, I mean, obviously I didn't get through the first book and then I realized that it wasn't going to work, so. I guess I'm just honestly I like it like I originally had the same like idea where I was like just read the book read the book read the book read the book and then you're gonna get through but then the, when I started actually doing it I was like oh no way I don't want to do that like I'm learning things yeah. that I never would have thought about like I like I've learned like the, like I said I restarted Exodus three times and I only got to chapter 10 I have gone down so many rabbit holes about yes. Egyptian culture that it's not even funny like it, I know all of these different pharaohs and how long they reigned and like like the the longest reign of a pharaoh in Egyptian history is 60 years. And so like just a quick cool thing, Moses was alive or when Moses went back to Egypt to set the people th free, he was 83. So just in the span of Moses's life, there were at least two, probably four pharaohs. And people think, a lot of people, when they read the, the story of Exodus, they think that the Pharaoh that took Moses in as a baby uh, is the same Pharaoh that he fights against. But it's not at all. Interesting. Because it, it, it even says it in the Bible, and a lot of people don't, it doesn't click for them, but it's when God's talking to Moses in the burning bush, God says, go back to Egypt, all the people that wanted you dead are now dead. And then if you go and look at when Pharaoh or when Moses murdered that Egyptian, it says Pharaoh wanted him dead. 
It doesn't say that the people wanted him dead. It doesn't say that Pharaoh sent people out to get him killed. It said Pharaoh wants him dead. So then God tells him, hey, all the people that wanted you dead are now dead. So right there, it tells you, hey, there's a new Pharaoh. Huh. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <clears throat> Never picked up on and that And there's a lot of speculation on who each Pharaoh is. And a lot of people think it's one Pharaoh. And there's like three different outlooks on who it could be. And the conclusion by all of the scholars that are way smarter than all of us is you're not going to know. There's, there's no way of telling. Well, I probably could have told them that, and I'm a lot less smart than they are. <laughs> yeah. They, like, they, there is so much research and, like, papers written on this stuff, and by people that aren't even Christians, by people that do Egyptian history, because the book of Exodus is a very big part of just Egyptian history because it's one of the oldest passages that they mm. have about Egypt. So are there non-biblical records of like the floods and, or the plagues and stuff? Yes. I, yeah. There are. Yeah. Which is really cool. I would love to hear about that stuff. Yeah. I that's, I that's been my biggest like question. Yeah, probably my biggest question would be is there is is there, you know, records of you know, everything that went down there from another perspective i have heard that there are i haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet yeah there it are. seems like matt has yeah there are there's a lot <clears throat> there's a lot of um tablets written in stone writings um a, a lot of um drawings in like temples and things like that i don't know all obviously the names and the insides and outs and everything but it's something that i dove into a few weeks back just because that was something I was curious on. If, if all of these miracles happen and we had <clears throat> the the dark magic side of things that could do awesome things, and then we also had um, God's supernatural intervention also doing some of these miracles, or not miracles, um, plagues, then if this was that big of a deal in Egypt, somebody had to have written it down somewhere. So I'm like... Mm-hmm. If especially the mass murder of all firstborn everything right. animals kids whatever exactly that that like that's a lot of dead people in Egypt it's probably talked about right it had to be recorded somewhere so that's what I started diving into because if you could prove well if the Egyptians wrote that down somewhere and you could see that written down somewhere that kind of proves that the stories in the Bible are true. And by proving that the stories in the Bible are true, that gave me a lot of confidence in the Bible itself. It's like, hey, this was actually a thing. And it's not just stories made up by people that they wrote down in the Bible. It's actually recorded. We can cross-reference the stories in the Bible with Egyptian history manuscripts and all of this yeah. other stuff. Yeah, so like, if you can cross-reference that, and we have a, a pretty good idea of black magic, and we have a pretty good idea of God's supernatural presence around that time, then that kind of proves this to be true, in my opinion. So, so back, background for Thomas, because he said he hadn't listened to the earlier episodes, and I don't know if we talked about this on the episode or not, but a rabbit hole that I started going down, and I kind of dragged Matt with me, was the miracles and or plagues that Moses did that like the when he threw down his staff and turned it into a snake when he made the toads appear and when he turned water the water into blood for the Nile it says in the Bible that 
uh, pharaohs, magicians, and sorcerers recreated those things. And I, I was really curious as to what they are. What are these sorcerers? What are these magicians? How did they mm. recreate these things? And there were a couple different outlooks on it. It was either they were actually just like uh, like magicians that we see nowadays that were using like sleight of hand things. There's a for the stick to become a snake. There's a, there's actually a thing that snake charmers can do where they can make a snake stay stiff as a board. And then when they like snap their fingers or whatever, it turns into a snake again. Hmm. So there was that. And then the other side of it that is what I actually wanted to see was the actual magic. Like them cutting themselves and reciting incantations and talking to spirits to get these powers. And that stuff started to scare me because it is very real and that people still do it now. It, you can like straight up be like, hey, demon, come help me, and I'll do it. And it... it That's some wild stuff. So it, it depends on what you believe. If you don't believe that stuff's real, then sure, they were just doing magic tricks. But if you do and you look into it, demons have a lot of power. But the thing that was cool was that the magicians and sorcerers in Egypt could turn a vase of water into blood. Moses and uh, Aaron turned the whole river into blood. And then the stick that turned into a snake, their, Moses and Aaron's snake ate the other sorcerer's snake. And like it was every time that the sorcerers could recreate the plague or whatever, God showed that his was better. So it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. One one thing that, well, obviously, Matt, you know, in your little rabbit hole there, you found that there were other documents or other records of, um, you know, the plagues and and such. One thing that that I also find interesting is I wonder how much of that inform like if you've found a little bit, I wonder how much of that information has been lost. Yeah, because because you know just through time and things you know disappearing here and there and then I because I, I had briefly, you know maybe for like five minutes looked into something like that a while ago, and I know that um, in one of the invasions during one of the empires at some point in time, the uh, library at Alexandria was burned. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that history was lost just from that that was a thing that they did for some reason when when you took over a whatever culture nation, yeah like a culture na- yeah they would burn that nation's history because their history now became the people who took over isn't that crazy that, like the nazis did it isn't that nuts yeah like it it, it, it sucks why would we do that why would anybody do that because they're the winners. History is written by the... Well, you can't just history like is written by the victor. Yeah. General Shepard. Yeah, I guess. I just don't understand why you couldn't kill a couple pigs or something, but whatever. <laughs> they did that too. No. So, Matt, what you got? You got like a whole notebook of things that you're looking at. Um, <clears throat> well, something that I found interesting that I did want to share um, is the... 
the entire beginning book of Exodus is, or the beginning of Exodus is just walking through Moses convincing Pharaoh to let his people go, and the Israelites getting let go, and then Moses coming back, and then them getting washed, washed away through the Red Sea, the Egyptians getting washed away through the Red Sea, um, Israelites surviving, and then the Israelites living in the desert for however long, and doubting Moses and getting mad at Moses for dragging them away from their bondage inside of Egypt, um, and also doubting God. And we see like a serious, um, a serious, I guess, sentiment of doubt around the Egyptians, um, despite what God did for them and all of the provisions that he around, made for them. Around the Israelites? Yeah. Oh, okay. You said Egyptians. Oh, sorry. Um, but it's just, it's intriguing to me how, despite everything that God did for them, they continue to doubt and they continue to um, complain and whine about the positions that they're in. Um, and it's, it's I, I don't know, I just don't really understand how they can see the insides and outs of God's supernatural power and then still whine and complain and doubt his presence whenever he did all these things for him. I don't really understand that. I think the most interesting, maybe not the Israelites as a people, but Moses himself was the most interesting to me. Like, God showed himself to Moses in a bush, and while Moses was talking to a bush that was God, he was like, yeah, I can't do that. Uh, no, I'm not good enough for that. And then God was like, all right, fine. If you, I'll send your brother or cousin or whatever it is, Aaron, and uh, he'll, he'll come talk for you because you don't think you can talk. And then Moses was like, all right, and left without Aaron. And it, it was just so confusing to me. Like, if you're sitting there telling God that you can't do it, and then God gives you a out, essentially, like someone that will help you, and then you leave without him, <laughs> like, it just was very confusing. Like, why are you so doubtful of yourself? But in the same, at the same time, I kind of understand it. Moses was like, I'm not good enough to do any of this. And like, sometimes like, I, like, I very much understand what he means there. Mm-hmm. He's like, just, just send someone else to do it. I, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Where, where did you stop at in Exodus? Where are you at right now? On the, how, like, actually read myself or like the podcast and like research that I've been doing? No, no, like your own research. Uh, probably like. Five six, Exodus five and six. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm stopped right, or I stopped right now. It's seventeen. Well, I the first three to four books of Exodus. There's a lot of geographical things that are hard to understand, mm-hmm. and I've been looking at like maps and stuff, mm. and trying to figure out actually where Mount Sinai is. Mm. That's cool. Because, like, you see Moses leave his house where he lives with his father-in-law and his wife, Jephthah. That's her name, right? I think Jephthah. That was the father-in-law. Her name was Zipporah. Yeah, you're right. Jephthah Jephthah's the father-in-law. But they call him by, like, three different names. Mm-hmm. And it, he leaves his house, and he goes to Mount Sinai. It doesn't say how far that is from there. And then... 
So it could be anywhere at that point because the shepherds went wherever with their flock. And then he goes, talks to God, and then goes back home and then leaves for Egypt. And then God does that whole thing where Zephora has to circumcise her son and rub it on Moses. And Pause. Yeah. Can we just talk about how weird that is? Did you were you here when we talked about it? <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. Did you guys talk about this, the like the, the foreskin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to hear about that. Okay, <laughs> let me let me listen. Let me finish what I just said, and then I will get into it with you real quick. But the he leaves, and then God tries to kill him, and then he meets up with Aaron, and then they go to Egypt and they tell Pharaoh, "Let us leave for three days." And go worship our God in the wilderness. But when you look at all the maps and stuff, to get to where the estimated points of Mount Sinai are, it would take way longer than three days. There's like three different points where people think Mount Sinai could be. From Egypt, you could not get to that point in three days. In any way that you spin it. With the amount of people that were there and all of that, you cannot get there in three days. And... I, w- I got so lost down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out, well, what if you couldn't get there in three days, three days, what did God mean by let them go for three days in the wilderness? And that's that's kind of where I am right now. Just like, what what does all of this mean? Because where is this mountain? Mm-hmm. But the, what is it called? The, the blood serp, the blood. When God, when God tried to kill Moses and his wife said that, what did she say? I'm the blood maid or? Uh, I, I can't remember. Okay, so it doesn't really matter. But So, <laughs> for some reason, Moses, after talking to God, goes back home. He talks to Jeff, Jephthah or whatever her, his father-in-law's name is. Then he's like, hey, I'm going to take Jethro. Jethro? What's his name. Okay. Pretty sure. He's like, hey, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take my wife, I'm gonna go to Egypt, I'll see you later. Is that okay? And he's like, yeah, sure. So they leave without Aaron. Then the next verse it says God shows up and tries to kill Moses, and to save Moses, his wife circumcises her son, and then in in the English translation it says takes the foreskin of her son and rubs it on Moses's feet. But if you look at the Greek or Hebrew version, the word that they use there for feet was like the nice way of saying genitalia. What? The, it, it was like the politically correct. Black. It was the politically correct word that they used for genitalia because, like, it's taboo to talk about your genitals. So in the book, they use this word that people kind of meant as your appendages. And so she took her son's foreskin and rubbed it on Moses's junk, and that atoned for Moses not following the rules. The rules being Moses was not circumcised as okay, the Israelites should have been circumcised. Dude, if you did that today, you would either be put in jail or a home. Well, that is why Jesus died for us. So we don't <laughs> have to rub foreskin. Goodness. And it was um, a bridegroom of blood. That's what. Yeah, bridegroom of blood. I've never heard this story it, because it's really weird yeah, because and nobody can really make sense of it. Like that, that makes sense to me. Like 
but nobody really knows oh, for I'm sure. I'm glad you understand what they had to go through. Well, there. okay, so so to explain the whole foreskin thing, that they, the Israelites had to circumcise in a certain way because it was God saying, "I made you. Give a piece of yourself back to me." Right. Because think about like, think about like a penis is the way. Oh, we had to say the word. <laughs> Is is the way to is, <laughs> is 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 the way to bring life and continue life inside of humanity and to and to give up a piece of what gives you life and is your way to continue your lineage is like giving up a piece of your bloodline to God and so, like that is that is what the symbolism is inside of like the actual circumcision itself. and that's why in Genesis. God made that as a part of his covenant to continue the blessing through his people. And that's why, like, that is the symbol and the sign of God's blessing. And, and so and Moses, he did not, Moses didn't do that. Because Moses was raised as an Egyptian. So right, he got circumcised right. as an Egyptian. Okay. And the Egyptian circumcision ritual was much different than the Israelite circumcision ritual. And God was mad at Moses for this. And so he was going to kill him. And, but the thing that is extremely interesting, and this is another place where I got stuck, his wife, she's a Midianite. Whose wife? Moses' wife. Okay. She's a Midianite. She knew the Israelite circumcision ritual. She knew that it had to be some kind of flint knife. She knew how to do it and knew what would atone for God's anger. How did she know that? So there's a there's there's a bunch of theories out there that the Midianites are were actually following God too. Oh, I've actually heard this. The same they were following the same God as the Israelites because the Midianites are descendants of Cain. Yeah. Oh. So it it was like Moses went out into the desert, met this lady, then got hooked up with a priest of Midian, who is this lady's father. And was learning the things of God before God actually was like showed himself to Moses. But the other interesting thing, which kind of like goes back on itself with what I just said, is that when God is in the burning bush and talking to Moses, God says, Who do I tell the people you are? Like what is I don't know you. What is your name? And then God says, I am who I am, or I am the I am, whatever he says. And then Moses goes and tells the priests of Israel or the elders of Israel that, and they know who that is. So it's it's assumed that the Israelites had heard that before, the I am name, and they never actually say Yahweh until like this weird part. But Moses didn't know who God was, but the Midianites who his father-in-law was a priest of the Midianites, knew enough about the Israelite religion that his wife knew the Israelite circumcision ritual and knew that it would atone for God's anger. Hmm. It's very weird. Hmm. It, like, I feel like the Bible, and like when I start reading it through like this, I feel like the Bible has so many other stories that aren't written down that we get glimpse in pieces of and it just stinks because you you have to just guess and you have to just like make these scenarios up because you're like I, I 
it doesn't tell that story because it's not important to the whole big picture. But that is very interesting to me because I want to know the history of all these things and how they all fit together. Yeah. Cause like, how the heck did how how did his wife know? I don't know, man. But the 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 fact that you have never heard that story, Thomas, it's right when Moses leaves for Egypt, and then right after that verse, it's when God is talking to Moses and Aaron together. So like, there's two verses there, or maybe, probably like four. There's like four or five verses there that talk about this bridegroom of blood thing and then it just stops it doesn't explain why it doesn't really tell you what the heck is going on and the guys that i've been listening to that talk about it actually think it's out of order it's not oh that's interesting it's not uh can can what's the word it's not sequential yeah it's not sequential i was gonna yeah. say consensual but like that that makes sense because whenever you get to that point of the chapter it's like hold on what did what did they just say yeah they they're saying it's not in sequential order but whoever the writer of exodus was put it there to show you something Hmm. moses wrote exodus so so that and that's what they're saying they're they're saying that they think Moses put that story in at that part so that he could tell you the whole story the way that it was supposed to go. But it's just, it doesn't seem like it's supposed to fit right there. And there are other places in the Bible where it does that, where it tells you something that happened before and then something that happened after and then something that happened in the mm-hmm. present. And it just kind of like jumps around to give you the correct picture. But that, that one doesn't seem to work. It's just a very confusing couple verses. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to completely make out of that one, but I think I have a pretty good idea of what it's, what it is. Well, what we do know is that God was pretty pissed. He's mad. Yeah, he's pretty mad at Moses. It's a reoccurring theme in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, because people, because God was trying to get people to do the right thing. And they just kept doing the wrong thing. And so he was just like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter how much you love someone. You're, I mean, there's still going to be times where you get upset with them. Mm-hmm. Your wife gave you a dirty look just then. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, I think God, I don't want to say gets impatient, but I think he just gets a little bit frustrated because he has a plan. And, I mean, he, he's has shown himself to the Israelites time and time again and shown his his power um, and they just continuously doubt and once they like get into the desert and get away from the Egyptians um, after the they, Red Sea they want to go back yeah they want to go back and they complain about food and they complain about water and it, um, as you get further along into Exodus it's, it starts to get pretty pathetic and then um I just it's something that I really struggle with like how how do these people see the direct presence of God and then still doubt continuously but I guess too this who knows how long the story was spread out they were in the desert for what was it 400 years 40 years 44 40 years why did I oh they were in, they were in Egypt for 400 years oh yes that's what it was <laughs> sorry um 
which I guess it was kind of spread out, but like still, I mean, they literally saw these things with their own eyes. I don't know how you can continue to doubt. I mean, I guess you can say the same thing today. I think, I think it was more of a, they're, ta- they're probably taking it for granted. Yeah, because like, they because they out. saw it so much. If the, like if it happened as much as the Bible says, then they were, have been exposed to this, either first or second hand. Their entire you know, That's their entire part. lives. So maybe they're just like, oh, he's just gonna, you know, this is the way that it is. And then you know, if something too bad is gonna happen, then God will fix it. You know, something very interesting that just came to mind when you say that is when Jesus rebuked the uh, Jews for asking for a miracle. Yeah. He was like, the Jews, like, I don't know exactly what Jesus said, but he was like, don't ask for a miracle. Like, we've, he's kind of, he's kind of saying, you've seen miracles for hundreds of thousands of years and you've done nothing different. Stop asking for miracles. Yeah, it, it kind of says something about humanity. <clears throat> How we're never complacent mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with like it's never enough, you know. We <laughs> always want continuous confirmation, and it's funny because we preach not to be complacent on this podcast all the time. It, well, it's a different type of yeah. complacency, I think. <clears throat> but um, hmm, that's interesting. Contentment might be yeah. a better word. That's not complacent. That's, that's a better word. Um, not satisfied. Yeah. Huh. That's an interesting takeaway. Something that I didn't gather. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. They, they were just so used to seeing his hand that as soon as he took his hand away, they they lost hope like he wasn't watching over them constantly. Because, mm-hmm. like, as I read that, it's like, well, if I saw those things that, that God did right in front of my very eyes, I mean, I, there wouldn't be a doubt in my mind. But what what at the same time, now, like, we go through things nowadays where you have this amazing God experience. You say, okay— Church camp, for instance, when I go to my church camp, uh-huh. there's this amazing God experience. And then six months later, I'm pretty complacent. And I've fallen away to an extent as yeah. like the, I'm on fire then. And the fire kind of dies out a little bit. If you're not constantly in God's presence like that, it's it's difficult hmm. to stay like that. So if they're seeing these super like hardcore things and then the hardcore things go away, it makes sense. Yeah. Cuz like I do it. Hmm. I feel like we all we all do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I think um <clears throat> I think too that we kind of dive into the nitty-gritties just inside of Exodus here. I think we kind of dive into the nitty-gritties like the bride's groom of blood and things like that. Um, <laughs> that's just I love researching that stuff. That's, yeah, I do, yeah, I do too. But I, I think sometimes we spend a lot of time on the on the nitty gritty stuff. So I try to take a step away and, and get a better idea of the bigger picture. A couple weeks back, <coughs> is to the symbolism that I think God was using inside of Egypt and their enslavement, um, just by the Egyptians. And something that I kind of gathered and something that they continue to come back to is, let me look at my notes here, um, in Exodus 10 (coughs) and um, somewhere before Exodus 10, maybe that was Exodus, uh, yeah, somewhere around like Exodus 8 and 9, 
um, I think that God is, is kind of trying to use this story of the Israelites in bondage is a bigger picture idea of how we as God's people are continuously enslaved by evil and sin. Um, and just some notes that I wrote down fall somewhere between these lines. Despite God's miracles and power, we give him a slight chance but remainder but remain stuck in our ways. So we, it seems like we continuously have faith in him and we want him to do big things for us. But the ties and the the bondage that we put ourselves in of temptation typically holds us back. And as Moses continuously begs Pharaoh or demands Pharaoh to let his people go, as you get further on into the plagues, Moses gives a little bit more rope to them. You can go out. Only the males, I think at one point he said, can go out and um, can leave Egypt to worship, but they have to come back. And at one point he says, um, you can go for a short period of time. Yes. Pharaoh says, you can go, but it can only be for a short period of time and don't go very far. And that's in chapters 8 and 9 I believe but he, he gives them a little bit of rope lets them go a little bit but he always makes them come back and I think God's kind of trying to use that as a bigger picture as exactly like you were just sharing how we can we get close to God but we tend to fade away because we get we get roped back into our original bondage of some of the the things that aren't godly and some of the things that God doesn't want us to do because regardless of how close we are to God, there's still going to be that temptation. I mean, God was tempted. There's still going to be that temptation and that little bit of a tie to the worldly things that we're all used to that we always get sucked back in if we let it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what God's trying to trying to structure inside of this story, inside of the bigger picture, is how Egypt was used as that tie to the Israelites that would always pull them back in and always pull them back in but they originally broke that tie, but they never stopped getting tempted and they never stopped doubting, regardless mm-hmm. of where they were at. And I think that that's kind of what, from my research, that's what a, a lot of other folks believe as well. The bigger picture behind this bondage in Egypt is just that, how Satan always holds a very small piece of us. I don't want to say always, but... There's no complete way to get out of the world um, and completely surrender. Even whenever we do surrender, there's still temptation. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe no, that's uh, wrong. But I, I mean, I agree. I don't know if a lot of preachers would preach that. Right. Because that's a very pessimistic, I guess, way to look at it but i agree like it we suck and we're always gonna suck right but something that i found like i really like the wording like looking at how things are worded something that i found very interesting when reading about pharaoh was when when god was talking to moses in the burning bush he said pharaoh's heart will be hard and he will not let the people go then when moses goes and he does the miracles it says I like after the miracle happened and 
Pharaoh couldn't do it or whatever. It says Pharaoh's heart became hard. And that was for the first couple miracles. Then it got to a certain point where God was like, all right, my turn. And then it changes the wording and it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So God gave Pharaoh a chance at first. He was like, hey, I know you're not going to do it, but here's your chance. Let, let them go. And Pharaoh's heart became hard and it did it again and again and again. And then God was like, all right, my turn. And then it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I just found that very interesting where God was like, even though I know that you suck and you're not going to do this, I'll still give you a chance to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so <clears throat> that's something I thought was pretty cool. Just bigger picture of everything's going on here. But um, <clears throat> what got us started here, um, what got us started inside of Genesis and Exodus is the Passover and why God killed all these kids. <laughs> um, so that's what got you started here, right? But I think that was really small-minded thinking as to on, why on your part, yeah. Is okay. So like, why? Okay, why God killed all these kids? Like, I, I I don't think it was nearly as simple as just like God killing these kids. Like, I think that there was a lot, a lot bigger of a battle going on, and a lot more serious reason for God to prove himself to do something that drastic um, is kind of what I've gathered from my research. And I know that you and I talked about this a little bit, Jaden, but I'd kind of like to answer that question today. <laughs> just you because think you're ready. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think I'm ready. Um, just because, like I said, this is something that we've, that I've been diving into pretty deeply. So I got some notes on it here. I'm excited because I I don't know your whole thought on this. I know a little bit. Right. Um, So I think the bottom line is God was trying to prove himself and and show humanity who's boss. (laughs) And maybe not just humanity, but um, the Egyptian religion who's boss. Because I think that Egypt was obviously a superpower at this point in the in the world, um, and I think that the black magic and the the dark side of the supernatural world was starting to take over humanity at this point in time, and I think that God obviously saw that as a problem, and would and used Moses and the Israelites as an example and an opportunity to show his um, show the hierarchy of power inside of the supernatural realm and I think he used he utilized the plagues to do that um, and obviously it talks about um, pharaohs magicians and masters um, doing some of the things that Moses was able to do but they weren't able to do they weren't able to do all of the things and because of that, they could, they could only do three. It was the, the or four, the stick into the snake, mm-hmm. the put your hand in your cloak and bring it back out and you have leprosy, uh, the water into blood and the frogs. Right. Those are the only ones they could recreate. Yes. And in chapter eight, um, you have the frogs and the lice and the flies and the, the magicians could mimic the frogs, um, the, but the magicians could not mimic the lice. 
Um, and this was really one of the first times that they come that they came up short, which was I don't a, understand why. Lice. Yeah, lice. I don't know. Um, but in chapter eight, verse nineteen, the magicians actually come out and say, "This is the finger of God," yeah. and that is, I think, one of the biggest turning points um, inside of the entire book of Exodus in all of these plagues is whenever, because I think that just goes to show, all right, uh, we've pretty much done everything that we can do now at this point. This has to be something bigger than just what we're worshiping or what we're gathering power from. I, yeah, I love that part too because it's it's them saying exactly what you just said. Like, we are, we are tapping into some power, but even the things that we are tapping into know that this is above us. Yeah, yeah. Because every demon, Satan himself, they know who God is. They know that God is more powerful than them. And every encounter that Jesus ever has with a demonic presence or spirit, the de- the demon immediately knows, okay, I cannot win this fight. Let me ask for my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I too think that's very interesting that they're like, hey, like even the sorcerers said to Pharaoh, this is some serious power. This is God. Mm-hmm. We should let them go. And mm-hmm. Pharaoh's like, nah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, his heart was hard. So <clears throat> the bottom line is I think that that was starting to, uh, I, th- I think that the Egyptians were starting to worship um, that dark magic because that's really all that they knew. And if that's all you ever know, and there's obviously supernatural power there, I mean, who wouldn't think that that's something special? And I think that's that's what they started associating their gods with and they started distancing themselves away from the one true God and I think that's why God stepped in and used Moses to show his power to rein everybody back in so that they knew who was boss and what who, what the pecking order actually was so your your culmination is I'm getting there oh okay I'm okay getting there. okay sorry so I kind of gathered some of this, some of my answers from Exodus 12. Um, and obviously in Exodus 12, 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And that's, that is the one verse that hit me, and I'm like, Okay, so that is what this is for. That is the purpose of all of these things, that all of these plagues, killing the kids, and everything that it is for. To prove that he is. Some, something interesting that I've never thought of, given, given a second thought, is in that verse he said he will you know, execute his judgments against you know, all the firstborn and stuff, and the gods of Egypt, as if the gods are actual beings wait i didn't even hear that can you read it again yeah so whenever i read this verse i'm like it like hit me i'm like okay there's literally my answer he literally spells it out for us right there so again exodus 12 12 for i will pass through the land of egypt this is obviously passover on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of egypt i will execute judgment I am the Lord. So there act, there had to be some sort of being there 
other like why would Ooh. yeah that, why that. why would he be why would even put in like if there's if you know because we've always been taught that they were just worshiping these made up gods yeah right holy crap why would, <laughs> why would it say that I'm going to execute my judgment against these beings if those beings didn't actually exist? so so I have two thoughts on that one yes they existed and there were these demons that were in higher power than other demons and they were re- like they were worshiped as these gods or two god is saying these things that you think are there it's just me and i'm here to prove that it's just me so i think it could go both ways there yeah but i do think that there is something to that where it's like there are these spirits that are doing things that, like a physical being yeah, yeah. That, that there are these demons and you are worshiping them but i'm here to prove to you that i'm better than them or he's saying, you're worshiping me, but you're calling it something else. It's me. See, I feel like that's the one that's more likely, but I almost want to believe the other way because it's so much more interesting. I'm inclined to be kind of 50-50 on both. I am kind of 50-50 on I just feel like... Because I, I don't know. The, the more that I dive bad. into the spiritual realm and angels and demons and fallen angels and... Nephilim, or however oh, you say don't, it. Don't start getting into Well, that. this is Nephilim. I know it is. But the more that I dive into that stuff, the more I'm like, well, how much power do they really hold? And the more that I dive in, the more it's like, they got some serious power. Well, yeah, because you got to think about it. I mean, fallen angels came, you know, the whole Nephilim thing. I, mean, I just said not to do it. But, I mean, why couldn't that? Why couldn't that have been something like that? Mm-hmm. You know, why couldn't that have happened again? And it just wasn't important to me. Well, you, you heard my whole demon theory, right? Like, demons are Nephilim. Oh, yeah, I remember you saying that. So, yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, there was something that you said that I had. Keep going. Okay. Oh, okay, but never mind. Tell me your... Okay. Um, but yeah, good thought, Thomas. That's something I didn't even really think on. But anyhow, that's, that, that verse, I think, kind of gives us... (laughs) It pretty much spells out the answer. It sums up my thoughts here, but um, kind of just recapping now and putting a period at the end of this whole thing. Um, I think that God was seeking to regain precedence over the Egyptians and their gods because their gods were starting to be all that the Egyptians knew of and were starting to be a bigger influence because they were distancing themselves so far away from God. Um and I don't want to say that God realized he was starting to lose, but I think that the people... He was those, losing his people. Yes, yes. God wasn't losing, but his people were losing sight of who God was. And I think that this was God showing his precedence over the Egyptian gods because every single one of those plagues were directed towards one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, like the, the Nile turning to blood, they worship the Nile. And like the flies, well, some of their gods had the head of flies and so on and so forth. But the last and most powerful Egyptian god was the god of life. And by knocking out the firstborn of the Egyptians... Which the back then, firstborns were the most important. They right. got everything. Right. I mean, that the firstborn sons were the lifeline to Egyptian Egyptian power, essentially. So if you knock that out, that's knocking out the life out of the Egyptians. And 
like I said, that was supposed to be one of the most powerful gods that the Egyptians worship. And I think that's why God saved it for last. So it, it wasn't about like God just went to kill these kids. He was trying to show an example of I have high power over even the most powerful of your gods. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that you can do to stop me. And that's that's kind of the bottom line from all of my notes. But something that I thought about was, okay, so why doesn't God just make it so he wins? If there's Egyptian gods, why doesn't he just knock out the gods and make it so he wins? But I, I think it's because God will always show himself. This is something I had in my notes. God will always show himself, but he makes it clear that you can make your own decisions if you want to. That's what I was going to say. He wants to give us autonomy. He wants to give us freedom. Ooh, autonomy. Good one. But um, <laughs> Exodus fourteen, twelve is another thing that I had in my notes. Um, it says, Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it, for it would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And I think that this kind of shows how naive um, the Israelites were and, and how quick we lose hope. So, like, <laughs> if God wants to give us freedom, but we still don't give him the time of day to give him never-ending hope and love and direction, then... <laughs> then why does it why does he continue to give us a chance? <laughs> and I think that the bottom line to that is just that God's love is unending. And I think it's supernatural. I think his love is supernatural because there's no love here on earth that is so persistent that regardless of how doubtful and um how unpersistent or impersistent, whatever the word is, um, his people are. There's no, there's no love on earth that can match that love, and I don't think that that's something that's natural here on earth. I think that's supernatural, and I think that this is where true love is, um, because there's not any type of love that we know or that we can understand that actually makes sense to this situation. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I have two things. 100% I agree with everything you said. Like the the whole why God killed kids thing. Uh, uh, I agree with all of it. But I looked at it in a different way. Okay. When I was trying to figure out the answer, I came to the conclusion that God did to the Egyptians what the Egyptians did to the Israelites. Uh-huh. The Egyptians yeah. the Egyptians said to the Israelites kill all of the boys throw him in the river, uh-huh. kill him. And so God was like, if that's what you want to do, I'll do it too. Here you go. And that, so that was like a little thing that I was like, okay, so God, God is showing them that if you, like, I'm more powerful. I don't need to make other people do it for me. Mm-hmm. I'll get it done. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that you were just saying, I think it all comes down to the moment that God created man, he gave us free will. Mm-hmm. That is why God doesn't just make himself win because he gives us the option to choose. Right. And which is what you said. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I agree 100%. But if he gives, like, he gave the Israelites the option to choose and he literally saved them from bondage the 400 years that they were enslaved by the Egyptians, 
and then they still whine and complain. So how can you how can you love a group of people that you give compassion to and provision for that still don't respect you for what you did for them? <laughs> because you're not a human. Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's why I said like Something that we can't. Like, that love is not natural. That is supernatural love. And he continued to give them manna and continue to provide for them. Moses struck a rock and brought water from a rock and he continued to perform these miracles <laughs> and God continued to give them everything that they needed to survive and live well. And he even the the manna that he gave for them, he <clears throat> um it says that it tasted like something with honey and he didn't even just give them food just to help sustain themselves, but he made it taste good too, regardless of them complaining. And you just, you go on and on through these stories and still he promised to give them food every day, but he only wanted them to take their daily allotment of food. But you still continue to have people that would take more than they needed for a day and stow it away for the next day because they didn't trust that God was going to come back and give them food the next day. And the story, and the funny thing is, the people that actually took the extra food um, overnight, he made it like get moldy, nasty, and stink. So everybody that like stole the manna for the next day, everyone knew who those people were because their tents stunk. <laughs> and that's something you can read about too. But it's like. Yeah, it's like, but like over and over and over again, God continues to be persistent and keep his promises, but there's just not any faith there or surrendering to, to him. And that's why I said, I think that all of this killing kids and everything boils down to God showing his never ending love to us, wanting to prove a point of his precedence. Um, and showing his provision for his people regardless of what situation they're in or regardless of how much faith that they have in him. He's always there, and he won't, what is it? He won't forsake us. What is it? Yeah, that's it. Um, he won't leave us or forsake us. That's what it is. Oh, okay. Re- regardless of where we're at. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what he's trying to show. That's, that's, I think, the bottom line and the answer behind everything that I was searching for. And I feel pretty good about what I came to. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I, I think the thing that's so funny, though, is like this whole time we were like, why did God kill kids? Why did God kill kids? And it seemed like, dang, is God a bad dude the whole time? Yeah. And then the end result that we came to is God killed kids to show us his love. Yeah. That's so funny to me. Yeah, which makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, when you say it, when you say it like that, it's like what? But when you listen, I love you, like mass murder of children. Yeah, when you listen to everything we just said, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you you found an answer that you that was that wasn't the normal answer we come up with, which is you'll never know. Yeah, I I think I feel really good about that, and like. I don't know. That's just that's what I came to, and that's like what I find peace in. So that's what I'm gonna roll with. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but like, I I felt like I dug into this about as hard as you could dive into it. I mean, heck, we've been studying this for how long, and that's kind of what I gathered. And I, I, I think that's it, man. Honestly. So what's your next question? Do you have a next question? Keep reading Exodus, <laughs> and I'm sure I'll run into something. Um. Do you guys have anything to say about what everything we just discussed? I think the most mind-blowing thing to me so far was that the fact that fake gods might not be fake. Just like, well, that, not, not in the same sense that, you know what I mean? That's what Macker said a long while back. Yeah, he, was talking, he was talking about that book. 
about about what that the super, fake gods are. Supernatural uh, book. I yeah, they, they, I mean th- that's been. I a, need to read that. That's been a theory that has been bouncing around in my head for a while. That these fake gods or these gods of these other nations are real. I was gonna say they weren't necessarily fake gods. The, yeah, I don't think they're fake. I wouldn't call them. Fake. Well, that most people do though. That's what most people. Most oh, people believe oh. that they're just worshiping nothing. Oh. Yeah. They came yeah. up with this idea at some point, and they're like, hey, yeah. Well, which just like some, this some of them is that's probably entirely true, but yes, yeah, could be. yeah right. And I, I guess I guess there's not really any way to prove either way. Well, I mean that's what's it's, our god. It's just a th- yeah, I know. I guess other than yeah, that's yeah. true. Personal experience. We know right. we know that other super, we we know that there are other supernatural beings in existence. Right. So it's it's not. Implausible. Yeah, to, it's not as far fetched as it sounds like. To it think first. that it could be, yeah. it could be the case, and that's what scares me. Yeah, I know that wasn't really the point of this whole conversation today, but that's kind of what I. That's where. Well, I that that's kind of what I've been getting stuck uh, on. Okay. Like a lot of my research has been getting stuck on these magical powers that the sorcerers recreated. I. I and I, it keeps coming back to demons, that that demons have yeah. powers, and we don't understand them, and they're a lot more powerful than a lot of people will let you believe. It's like, kind of crazy, isn't it? I grew up my whole life hearing people preach. People, people, I haven't until this past year or so, maybe two years. People have not told me this. And then now I'm looking into it, and I'm like, why are we not talking about this? This stuff is crazy. And, like, it's kind of yeah. cool because my sister, what, she's 13, and she's getting the glimpse of it now. Imagine how strong she's going to be when she's my age. Right. Because she's already learning this stuff. Right. But, like, it's just so crazy to me that there are all these Christians out there that some people don't even believe that the devil exists. Yeah, which is kind of stupid. It, it, one, if you're a Christian and you believe that God exists... Why would you not believe that the devil exists? Yeah. But it, it, there, there's if God has all this power and he made angels that also have power, like it talks in the Bible about all these powers that the angels have, and then those angels had relations with man, they had babies. Those babies have powers too. Like it, it's just, it's scary to me. Here's really, really stupid off-the-wall question then. Because I, I was... The one thing that I got stuck on in Genesis was did, did the Nephilim actually die out? I know, I know, I keep bringing this stupid word up. Okay. Did they actually die out? Okay. And then I got to the conclusion where, yes, they did die out because it says that other whatever wasn't on the Ark, it died. Okay? Like, no exceptions. Like, I got to that point. I figured that part out. Okay? But, like, could it have happened again? There are theories. Yeah, there, you know yeah, I mean? Well, it it talks about in uh, la- later it, later in Exodus, whenever um, what's his name Gad, whenever the whenever the spies go, oh, yeah, yeah, Joshua, yeah, whenever right, Joshua's right, right. spies, well, was, yes, they yes, say the the, su- the sons of the sons of Anak, which were yeah. you know in other translations, it's the Nephilim were there, right? And then I because I looked into that already and I got my answer from that already, and mm-hmm. basically what I I got at least but at least I think I'm right on it. Was that you know how like we talk about like like just these 
tales or whatever. I think it was kind of like that. Like it was like an over exaggerated word that they just used. Like they saw these big people and they come back and like, dude, these dudes were like Nephilim. Like they were big. Like they were kind of like using that as a term. Of so you don't think they were actually Nephilim? Yeah. Right. Exactly. There's, yeah. I, I, I've heard, I've right. heard that theory too. But I because, guess because I started looking at like the actual Hebrew words and stuff like that, and it is like said in an exaggerated that, way. That makes sense because what we do know about angels is that there are angels that are still in good standing with God. There are the fallen angels that are still locked in heaven where they were. Right. And then there are the fallen angels that came to earth, and when right. they came to earth, they then got sent to a different place. Right. So the, the fallen angels and all that crap, they're not here. Right. The, the, the demons are not fallen angels. So... But how how do demons happen then? Demons are dead Nephilim. Because because when an angel see, has this is where I've been stuck. yeah see this we're gonna end up this is a whole other podcast this is a whole other podcast we should, we should probably do a, a different but one on this let me let me finish well, this thought so people that, aren't yeah. super okay. confused when so d- demons are dead Nephilim when an angel and a human have a baby that baby now has part angel in him so his spirit has nowhere to go because uh, angels angels don't because angels can't like die that that part of an angel doesn't go somewhere yeah. our our soul has a place to go once we die angels don't so that part of that nephilim that has the angel spirit has nowhere to go and it becomes a spirit here so when the flood happened and all the Nephilim died, those souls got stuck here. That is what the prevailing theory is. That that interesting. That demons yeah, that See, demons are Nephilim's soul. I never found that rabbit hole yet. Yeah, yeah it's, me neither. Okay, that's well, that's I interesting. One on now I have is this next week. week? <laughs> <laughs> and for a month. <laughs> well, so yeah, d- demons are Nephilim souls. Okay, now Angel souls have nowhere to go. Our souls do have somewhere to go. So, that that is that is my best explanation for you at this moment. You I got I got a new mission now. <laughs> We're back in business. Um, how did this start though? How do I? Uh, you what did you What did you say? What, you said something though. What was your? I, I don't know. I said something about how I've been stuck in Genesis because of, you know, like. Oh, oh. angels coming back and having the whole Nephilim thing happen again or whatever. So, yes, I, I, I think I might agree with you that all Nephilim, at the actual giants that had quote-unquote superpowers that people saw as right. superhumans, I think that they might have all died out at the flood. And then the afterwards, people are just being like, man, they're just huge. Like, they're big people, right. like you're saying. But there's also another theory that says that they're... They still were there, but it doesn't nah, make it doesn't make yeah. sense to me because kind of all idea. of the all of the fallen angels that came down and made Nephilim got sent away. They got locked away, so they couldn't have made more. Hmm. Unless you th- you think that angels can keep falling, so like the good angels that are that still was up there. What I was so, so, so no, here no here here was what because I, I had done a little bit of research into this. My theory was. We know demon possession is real. What happens if a demon possesses someone and then that the demon uses that person to procreate with another person? Ah, but I think it's still a human. You may be possessed, well, but you're is. still a human. It is. But you remember we were talking about... I don't know. It was, about, just, like, it was just a theory that I thought about. Yeah. Remember we were talking about like 
demonic bloodlines and stuff like it gets passed down through generations so i mean that makes sense too but i mean if everything ceased with at noah and his children you know mm-hmm. i mean that that would roll that out too I, I mean i'm fairly confident whenever i came to the solution that everything other than what was on that ark died i i, I did a lot of research into that i one. i could i could see myself agreeing with that standpoint yeah i did i did a lot of research into that one and i'm, I'm fairly confident that everything died that was outside of that boat so do you think a soul is hmm. well i guess i want to know what you were just thinking because i almost i go ahead do you think a soul is made up of two souls make like what makes up a soul consciousness that's another podcast too right right. that is that is another one that's what i'm trying to gather from what you guys are saying like how is like a soul tainted by the original life giver like that can we pick this up another time yeah 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 let's just that is another thing like i've had all these things i i'm gonna be 100 percent honest i think 98% 98% of everything that I said this episode flies over top of a lot of people's heads. <laughs> I think I think a lot of the, the crazy things that my brain digs into and I'm like, this is sweet. There are a lot of people out there that are Christians that are like, nope. Yeah. Like, I don't you, care. You know, that, you know that meme where it's the guy on the History Channel and he's like, aliens. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how me. That's how we are with this. We're like, <laughs> demons. Um, but... Yeah, so if you are someone listening that this stuff does not interest you whatsoever, I'm really sorry because like this is stuff that I love and that interests me and interests these guys too. But (laughs) we're probably going to do another episode on this because I have a lot of questions and stuff and I love digging into this stuff. Uh, it's honestly probably so useless, but I get so much out of it. I don't think it's useless. I, it's, I it, mean, it's not useless. It helps me it understand the spiritual maybe, realm. Maybe it doesn't matter as much. It doesn't matter to a uh, – and I've come yeah. to this conclusion too. There are Christians out there that could live their entire life not needing to do the research that we're doing. And then there are Christians like us that need to do this research to be un- to be able to understand what they believe in. I don't even remember how we started getting into this kind of stuff. It it, dude, it was like seventh grade. We had that Bible study, and then we got into Nephilim with like Jake Bogazic and it Paul really did start and with David. Nephilim. Shout out to David if you're listening to this. But uh, yeah, this is this is getting into stuff that I think a lot of people don't care about. So we'll Not end. It, we'll end it here. I'm sorry. Uh, does anyone have any final remarks that they'd like to say? No, I already did mine. Thomas, no. Matt, I got nothing. Okay. Um, this has been the Common Chaos Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed. I, I I mean, I liked it. I enjoyed this one. I, I'm kind of lethargic, and I hope all my words came out and made sense because we ate all that meat. <laughs> um, uh, Thomas, what do, what do they need to go do? Follow us on Instagram. At the Common Chaos Project. Period between all of those words. Have a good week. Thank but, you, thank you for your prayers and everything. For yes, thank Thomas you, Thomas and his family and all of us. Please continue. It's uh, it's an ongoing, going to be a rough journey here. Um, but I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we we got some cool episodes in the works for later on. More mental health and uh, substance abuse stuff with Mac. Um, we got a couple other people that will be joining us pretty soon that I'm excited to talk to. But thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. I got peed.